Welcome to another episode of Heart of Pain. I am your host, David Grubb. I know things have been less frequent than we'd like over the past several months. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give everyone a quick update. If you aren't aware, I started HITP Sports Media earlier this year. And starting a new business is a tremendous undertaking. It's hard to believe that almost four years ago, I was just getting ready to start at WODT in New Orleans, getting Heart in the Paint off the ground as a radio show. Now, I've got HITP and the bird rights and the bird calls, and I've started producing Before the Whistle with Maddie Hudek, who has gotten off to a fantastic start. So thank you all for the uh, continued support for all of those projects, and just know we have really big plans to bring you more content and fulfill our mission of being a hub for analysis and storytelling and developing great new voices to talk about sports in ways other than just debate and argument. Uh, with that being said, I've got a really special guest today, Tulane basketball star Sion James. On the court, he's coming off his most successful season as an individual. He averaged career highs in points, rebounds, blocks, steals, minutes played, and shooting percentage. He scored in double figures 15 times, more than twice as many as the year before, and he set a career high with 30 points in a win over Memphis. Off the court, he may be an even better person than he is a player. He was the recipient of the American Athletic Conference Sportsmanship Award this year, and he was voted to be chair of the conference's Student Athlete Advisory Committee, becoming the first member of the Green Wave and the first men's basketball player to ever assume that role. He arrived on the Tulane campus when things couldn't have been much worse athletically, and now he's part of one of many teams on the rise in Uptown New Orleans. And so that's where we started our conversation. Well, there's so much that I want to discuss with you that is not hoops related. So I want to get these things out of the way first, get the basketball stuff out of the way first. Last year, Tulane had its first 21-win season in over a decade. Um, You guys won some big games. You were especially uh, difficult to play at home. You made uh, the field house at, at Fogelman just a really difficult place to play. And I got to see so many of those games. What was last season like knowing where you guys started from back in 2020 when you're going through the pandemic and there's no, you know, you don't know if there's going to be a season and all those things to where it was last year where you're playing games, you know, primetime games on television, the crowd's going nuts and you're in contention for an NCAA tournament bid up until the last days of the season. Man, it was incredible. You know, just first of all, playing games in that that environment, no matter what the history of your program is, the history of your team is, is unbelievable. But then to think about where we've come from, um, it's exciting. You know, that was always the vision. When I signed at Tulane, you know, it's not like they were a historically great program or teams going great. Um, same with all the guys on our team this year. All the guys that signed know the history and they know that historically Tulane hasn't been amazing, but we have somewhere we want to go. In Tulane, the potential here was endless, it was boundless. The coaches saw it, we all saw it, and we all kind of bought into that, you know, Super exciting. Uh, like I said, it was always the vision. It was always what we anticipated. And we're just excited that we got those opportunities. Do you feel like you've earned a bit of respect now nationally? Um, and when you look, just not for the basketball program, when you arrived on the campus, Tulane was struggling. In football, Tulane was struggling. In baseball, Tulane was struggling. In a lot of areas athletically, y'all have made this big investment not only in the program, but in the athletes themselves in the coaches who who have decided to stay and build something. And now there's a general buzz around Tulane athletics nationally. And how, how, how do you feel being part of that resurgence and seeing the program as a whole come to where it is? It's unbelievable. 
Um, like I said, it was always a vision, not just for myself, but for the program. You know, now we've got an uh, American Conference uh, football, a champion football and baseball teams. Unbelievable experiences. We got uh, smaller sports sailing, won a national championship not too long ago. We've got beach volleyball being ranked top in the country. We've got all these other sports doing unbelievable things, not to mention uh, the way we've been playing, our women's team has been playing. Um, there's amazing things going on in this campus. And Tulane is just such a special place to me because it's a place where the student athletes truly love to go to school. Everyone I've talked to enjoys the city. They enjoy the school. They enjoy what they get to do. And when you're in an environment like that every day, um, success comes with that. It's as simple as that. You know, people love being around us, being around the team, not just the basketball team, but all these teams, because we truly enjoy being here. So it makes uh, recruits coming in and fans, it makes us easier to celebrate. And uh, eventually uh, the wins come along. There's some similarity between my collegiate experience and yours on some levels, because I went to a small private university, Wake Forest University, which is the smallest of the power five schools. And you guys are one of the smaller group of five schools. And, and in that, there's an intimacy when you're a student athlete. I knew the guys who were on our football team, our basketball team. There wasn't this, you know, there was the, wasn't the distance that comes on maybe being a campus where there's 35,000 students, a state school where you, you go to campus class and there's 150 people there and you don't know most of those folks. When you're walking to campus and just being a student, what is that vibe like knowing that these, you know, you, you do have this more intimate relationship with the city and your campus. Yeah, exactly. For me personally, what I was looking like looking for when I came to school, you know, sure. I'm from Georgia. So say, think of school like university of Georgia, Georgia tech. These are huge universities. These are universities where if you see someone walking on the street, if you see a pretty girl and you don't talk to her that day, you may never see her again, you know, uh, and you miss your chance. At a school like Tulane, you could see the same people over and over um, in class. You have the same class with people over and over. And that especially works uh, within our athletic department. Uh, some of my best, fr my best friends on campus are on the tennis team or the swim team or these other teams on campus. You know, these are people that we hang out with every day. Um, it's kind of a close-knit group. And it allows us to truly root for each other, uh, not just for our own personal success, but for their success and the same uh, within athletics and within the greater campus. You had your most successful year personally as well on the court, you know, career highs and points, just about every statistical category. You had that one of the best individual games and shooting performances. You could score 31 points, have seven steals. You have the school record for blocks in a game. And you did that as a guard, your development as a player and you tested the waters just like your teammates, a couple of your teammates have as well. But the development in, of your game, what about your two-lane experience has, has allowed you to grow as a basketball player, uh, particularly with your skill set? Yeah, well, and truth be told, I feel like my personal development uh, is really parallels my athletic development. You know, I came into school as a 17-year-old, um, don't really know who I am, insecure about myself, just, I am, just like I am about my game. So if I'm doing things aren't going well off the floor, that bleeds onto the floor. And, you know, now that I've gotten to this point over the last few years, I've been able to, you know, find some security in myself and security in my game. And I feel like that's kind of what shows, you know, I've got career highs here and there, but that's not me doing anything extraordinary. That's just me being myself. And I'm starting to realize that, um, that there's uh, incredible potential there, just like there is personally, you know, they've paralleled uh, one another. Um, just as I've been able to develop off the floor, I'm developed on the floor and um 
it's great to see that a level of success comes with that because there have been so many people help me along the way. And I feel it, it humbles me to succeed uh, for them. You go on to next year and like we talked about, you know, you and Jalen and Kevin all went out and, and, and tested the waters and, and, <clears throat> and saw potentially what it might be like out there to, to go pro. Um, and then, of course, Jalen Cook makes his decision to transfer back to LSU where he started his career. And you've lost a couple of other guys. Jaden Coleman decides to move on. Um, Noble Days decides to, to transfer. But the three of you who have been here the longest, who kind of built this to what it is, when you all decided, when you've made your individual decisions, did you have a conversation as a group about the unfinished business that you do have? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I got back to... Uh, New Orleans recently, and I saw uh, Forbes in the gym, as always, <laughs> only place you ever see this dude, but I saw him in the gym shooting, so I walked over to him, and I dapped him up, you know, we talked about how our NBA processes work, and said, hey, man, we got one more shot at this thing, you know, you and Kev are about to be out of the way, same with uh, Kevin, I saw him in the weight room earlier today, I said, hey, man, we got one more shot at this thing, you know, we've been here for all these years, we've been knocking on the door for a while, but we truly feel like it's our time. You know, things haven't always worked out perfectly for us, but uh, there's a bigger plan. It's not necessarily for us to understand now, but we will understand at some point in time. And all we can do is keep working. And like I said, there's only a few amount of places that you see these two dudes at. Of course, I see them in the gym, one shooting and one in the weight room. But, you know, we only get so many chances at this. We got one more shot. And, you know, we've talked about just making the most out of it. You know, it's, it's easy to talk about their skills because, you know, both of them are incredibly skilled basketball players. Jalen, one of the, the best scorers um, and shooters uh, that you're going to see in the country. And Kevin, uh, I, you know, liken him to a Draymond Green type of a guy who could facilitate, um, but a better scorer. You know, I, I think a guy who's, who's willing to, to attack the basket and finish around the rim over bigger people. But competitively, I think last year, the separation for me in watching the jump that you guys have made is that the confidence is there now, the understanding as a unit of who you are as a team that resonated more and more throughout the course of the season. And it felt like in those situations where you did get off track, you finally knew the coaching staff didn't have to tell you necessarily, okay, y'all know what you're not doing. You're not doing this offensively. You're not doing this defensive. There were these looks that were just exchanged that comes with that experience. How important is that to, to being successful? Yeah, it's huge. It's really a truly identity. You know, talk about uh, the value that identity has. It's a level of security. You know, we go out on the floor and we expect to perform a certain way um, from me, from Forbes, from Cross, and just down the line. We expect to perform a certain way. And when we're not, it allows us to say, hey, guys, here's a standard. Here's what we're supposed to be doing. And here's how we're falling short of that. We know what we're supposed to be doing. We've worked long enough at it. We've been here for the years. We built this up. We've talked on the floor. We've talked off the floor. We've talked in practice. We've talked in film. We know what we need to be doing. Uh, and since a lot of that work is done on the front end, uh, it allows us to just uh, lean back and rely on our identity as a unit and our identity as individuals to kind of get back in line. Um, I want to talk to you now about the things you do off the court uh, because they're they're far more impressive to me even than than as skilled a ball player you are. And, and, and we've talked, you know, we've seen each other at many games and I tell you yeah. when, when I, when I, how much I appreciate the way you play, but what inspired you 
to get involved with being on the student athlete advisory committee. You're, you're the first men's basketball player from Tulane to do it and to be the president of the association. And, you know, to be in this position, you're the first person from Tulane in, in any capacity to be the president of the association. How did you get involved? And then why did you want to be in a leadership position like this? Yeah, I got involved in the student athletic advisory committee at Tulane early in my freshman year. I'm our academic advisor at the time, uh, Cornell Sneed. He just uh, called me one night and said it'd be a cool opportunity for leadership and to represent the team. And from there, the first taste I got at the uh, how connected Tulane Athletics is, and it's something I fell in love with right away. You know, I talk about how some of my best friends in school are from the other teams, and that's really where it started. And then the following year, there was an opportunity for a leadership position, and you know, I've kind of I just kind of wanted to show not just student athletes at Tulane, but all over the place. It doesn't matter what sport you do, but uh, you can really do anything. You know, historically, uh, basketball players, not just at Tulane, not just in the American, but all around the country are more uh, tucked off and sort of doing their own thing. Uh, but I wanted to show uh, them and everyone else that, hey, we're, we can do these things too. You know, basketball players care about these other initiatives. And then following, following my sophomore year into my junior year, uh, the same opportunity presented itself um, at the national level for Division I SAC. Um, and same with um, working with the American and working with some of the NCAA groups. It's just exciting knowing that um, I have these skills and I've been able to develop these skills over the years uh, through high school, through programming, through college, through everything I've been able to develop. Um, and it gives me a platform to uh, really represent men's basketball players around the country. And that's something that I really look forward to. You know, I feel like I've been blessed with uh, different resources and different skills. And it's almost my duty to make the most out of it. Uh, so when I get the opportunity for a leadership position, something that no men's basketball player or no Tulane student athlete's ever done. Um, I want to be that trailblazer. I want to be that one that shows um, all the Tulane student athletes and all the men's basketball players following me that, hey, it's been done before. Um, we can do it too, and we can do it better. I want them to all be far, far better than I've ever been. Uh, that's the truth, and that's a success for me. Did you come in with any issues that were personal to you already? And then how much learning have you done about things that you quite frankly weren't aware of as a student athlete when you started your career yeah I knew that there were plenty of issues for student athletes you know uh, from when it comes to national issues like uh, being able to profit off ourselves but even smaller issues just like getting the respect you deserve in classes from your teachers you know not not all professors understand what it takes to be a student athlete and I, I want to be someone who can vocalize that not just for T professors at Tulane, but all around the country. I want to be someone who can express um, our needs and our wants so that we can work on uh, some of those sorts of problems. Um, I knew a little bit about the issues coming into college, but that first year in SAC really showed me a lot. And then on top of that, you know, uh, the big, a lot of the big things we get to do are within the community, within the athletic department, and then within the community. You know, I've been able to form connections with these other teams. And that's really been uh, the biggest part and things I've enjoyed the most. And then we've gotten to work in the community, you know, I've seen these uh, different issues um, around New Orleans uh, for years. And now that we have the opportunity to do something about it, um, I jumped at the opportunity. It was amazing. If you had to, to say in your mind, the priorities that under your term as president, you, you'd like to push to the forefront. And, and like you said, there there's so many 
but you have everybody has to prioritize something. What would be some of the ones that you would say are at the top of your your priority list? Yeah, of course. So one of the big ones that's been uh, one of my focuses for years um, is really just uh, connecting Tulane athletics with the greater student body. You know, we've got a an intimate campus. Um, it's not infrequent that you got a student athlete in your class, no matter what you're studying, no matter what your major is, um, you're going to have student athletes in your class. And I want um, us as a unit, the way we're so connected and the way that we go to each other and support each other, I want us to be able to support other organizations like that, whether it's the Black Student Union that we were able to um, host an event with last year, whether it was these other campus groups that we were able to invite to games and invite to our programming. I really want to connect uh, the student athlete population with the greater population. And we've been able to do that. You know, some of the football and basketball games have been some of the high, the most highly supported games on this campus in years. You know, I feel like that's truly a success. And it's not just that people are coming to games, but people have relationships with the team. Like some of the best things I like to see is after the games, not only are we winning, but we're going in the student section after the game to talk to our, our friends, not just people that we know, not people that are fans of us, our friends, people that we've generally formed connections with. And that's not just football or basketball. It's all these other sports. And that's the most exciting thing I see that uh, on campus, um, you know, at a highly academic school, we're still seen as uh, as students here. You know, we're still enjoying the social process. That's something that I've been uh, that I'm proud to say that we've seen growth in. How important is it to get the general public? Because I don't think by and large they do understand. And I've seen it up close and personal, having worked as a sports information director on college campuses, having been with, um, you know, uh, conference organizations, all these things, and as a broadcaster, and, and et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think a lot of people really understand that there's no such thing as a free ride, that you're not getting over. And 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 you're not complaining, you're, you're communicating needs. And mm-hmm. I, I, how is that process for student athletes as you talk to amongst yourselves? And then when you go to administrators and, and the universities at large to say, you got to help us articulate our message and who's working on our behalf. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that, um, once again, I'm proud to say has grown. You know, we work with professors here on campus and they're starting to understand um, what we go through on every day and just uh, the way that we show up consistently and the way that some of these skills are transferable, the way that they apply um, on campus. But it's also cool because uh, some of our needs are out there more publicly and not just because of work that we're doing at Tulane, but nationally you know, with the growth of, uh, growth of uh, social media influencers. Some of the most popular uh, social media influencers are athletes and our student athletes because they're able to uh, kind of visually through um, videos and uh, different posts, they're able to uh, show a day in our life or a little peek into our minds or a peek into our day or a peek into what we really are and who we are and what we go through. And that kind of allows people to empathize with us a little bit more. Um, like you said, it's not complaining. It truly isn't. We do what we do because we love it. It doesn't make it easy necessarily. And I'm glad to say that people are starting to um, come around a little bit, but it's also on us to make sure that uh, we're doing right by our platforms. So that's one of why we get, when we get opportunities to help out in the community or to show that we are more than just an athlete, that we make the most out of them. It's, it's weird that you almost have to humanize yourself because you're still, you know, you're just 20, 20 years old, you're just trying to live your life. But at the same time, 
There are people who perceive you only because they see you on a screen. They see you in mag in a magazine or on a, on a website or something. You, you exist to them as a object in a lot of ways. And you still have to redefine your humanity. Uh, is that a weird position to be in <laughs> as, as a young man, you know, while you're still trying to figure those things out for yourself? And that's the point you just hit on. We're still trying to figure it out for ourselves. It's definitely weird. Like, how are you going to tell me who I am? Because I just might listen because I don't really know who I am just yet. You know, um, it's definitely a it's definitely a growing process, but it's also exactly what we signed up for. You know, we play our sport because we love our sport. But a drawback to that sometimes is that uh, people see you as almost like a character, almost someone that comes on the TV as like a TV show, um, kind of forgetting about the rest of our lives. And that's why it's exciting when we get to, you know, kind of give a peek into our lives. That's why we enjoy uh, connecting the student athlete body with the greater campus. Because when we have personal relationships with the uh, students in the student section and the fans throughout the gym and the uh, community and all the locals that like to come to our games, that's when we really show that we're representing, we're not just uh, some people bouncing a ball, but we are these people who are part of your community and we like to do some of the same things you do and shop where you shop and eat where you eat. We are, uh, we're just like you. We just put a ball on, we're just a little faster or a little taller, or we can put a ball in a basket better than most. doesn't mean that uh, we're any less human. There's there's something that, that, I, that I think is really intriguing um, about the whole process of NIL, because we know that the system, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but there's general consensus that the system before um, was exploitative in a number of ways. There's also the concern that the NIL system, the way it is currently constructed, could be exploitative to student athletes um, still. How do how important is it to you to find those protections for student athletes while also maintaining those opportunities for them? Because for 99.99% of you, this is the opportunity to capitalize on your athletic ability. There will never be that opportunity again to do so so I, I, it seems to me it's only reasonable to allow it. Yeah, of course. And, you know, the comparison that we always make is uh, if you are a, a star piano player, you can perform as much as you want and make as much money as you can because that's who you are. But just because your skill is a little different, that doesn't mean that uh, you should be limited in your compensation any differently. Um, but it's definitely a tricky balance. You know, as you said, for most of us, this is the biggest platform we'll ever have. And not just talking about Tulane or our basketball, but every student athlete in the country, this might be the biggest platform we already have and we'll ever have. And this is our opportunity to make the most out of it. So it's super important that uh, student athletes uh, do what they're supposed to do and that we get the opportunities. But I also want to point out that a lot of the stories that hit the media are the extremes one way or another. So, you know, we hear about uh, a lot of the exploitation or, Maybe people getting money for something they're not supposed to be doing or breaking the rules or not getting their money at all. That happens, certainly. But, um, you know, as media, you understand media just as much as uh, more than most. And you understand that um, it's the, the extremes, it's the flammable stuff. It's the stuff that'll get clicked that really makes the headlines. That's not necessarily the case for most people. For most people, we're just using our personal brand our personal name, image, and likeness um, to make money doing what we want, whether that's making content on social media. You know, you see that a ton. Uh, that's a, a lot of what people do, you know, starting a business, starting doing things that camp. they care about, running a camp. 
that's like that's what nil is that's that's what we do we do the things that are important to us whether it's baking or starting a business or running a nonprofit. those are the things that are important to us and that's what we use our name image and likeness to represent um, that's the majority of it that's the true majority um, a lot of the extremes are what you see on the media but that's not necessarily reality for most student athletes we've lost a lot of um prominent athletes who were active in social justice movements over the last couple of years, you know, most recently Jim Brown, um, you know, Bill Russell, of course, and um, we lost also Harry Belafonte, an activist um, as well. You are the COO of your own nonprofit. Again, you are in school. You are the president <laughs> of the student <laughs> athlete um, committee, and you, you're, you're doing all of these things and yet you still have the time to operate and help operate Ryan's, <clears throat> excuse me, Ryan's giving tree. Can you tell people what it does, who it serves and why it's so important to you? Yeah, of course. Ryan's giving tree is a nonprofit that was fo uh, founded by a former Tulane basketball player, Sandy Ryan. Um, he was with our team a few years ago. He's the president and CEO. And it really started uh, just one morning, a uh, little over a year ago, he texted me and another friend and said, Hey, I'm going to McDonald's to grab some sandwiches, going to pass them out. Would you like to join? And I said, of course, like for Sandy, anything. And it was really, an, uh, you're going to pass them out to the homeless people um, up and down the street in New Orleans. And that was really an eye-opening experience because it's just um, a, a peek into the lives of an, another community, another group in our city that a lot of people kind of just flow by. A lot of people don't necessarily perceive, yet they're still human. They're still people that need love and need caring and that are in the situation uh, largely not by choice but because of circumstances many of us truly are not that far away are one or two bad days from lots of things going wrong and of course you never wish that on anyone but it's a it's a perspective change and that's something that i realize uh working with sandy um and his organization ryan's giving tree um so i'm grateful that sandy trusts me to join him as a chief operating officer you know we help outreach every Saturday where we um, gather supplies and food um, and uh, and plenty of other things. And we bring them out to them and tr form true relationships uh, with the homeless on the street. You know, it's an incredible opportunity to make connections and getting to a point as an organization where we're uh, looking to uh, survey them and create data so that we can um, eventually create real change in provide um, the services that they want and need um, rather than um, what we think they want and need. And it's and been an incredible opportunity. It's been very humbling, um, incredible perspective change. And I just love, I'm very thankful to Sandy and to Ryan's Giving Tree that I get to be a part of it. Please tell people how they can get involved um, or re at least reach out and find out how they, they can help. Of course, you can always uh, find us online at ryansgivingtree.org. Um, you can scroll down to the bottom and you can, it'll give you an opportunity if you want to volunteer with us or if you want to contact Sandy or I, uh, our emails are listed on there. Um, feel free to reach out to me as well. I'm always happy to talk about Ryan's Giving Tree. Always love getting new volunteers. Uh, as you mentioned, we go out almost every Saturday with food supplies and, um, and plenty of other, um, other things and just out there forming genuine connections, uh, reaching out to um, the homeless and just doing our part. Just a couple more questions before I let you go. Number one, who who inst instilled this into you, this spirit of, of, of servant, 
uh, leadership, of giving back to other people. Um, certainly it starts with your family, but, you know, talk about them and then who else? And, and were there other athletic figures like the ones we uh, mentioned a little bit earlier who inspired you? Yeah, of course. There are plenty of athletic figures who have their own foundations um, and run their own charitable organizations, which is something that I'm looking to do um, sooner than later. I'm um, looking to open up to start my own foundation. You work with groups like Sandy's, like Ryan's Giving Tree, and other community groups like Samaritan's Feet or these other uh, charitable groups that I work with. Uh, my heart um, as a servant started with my family, of course, but really it comes down to my faith. You know, I follow the greatest servant of all time, in my opinion, Jesus Christ, who um, was God, yet still humbled himself and gave his life for us. And if that's the um, the leader, if that's the, the light that I follow, then this is just the path that I'm on. You know, Jesus, as I mentioned, is God. He was God, yet he was still washing feet and he was still doing things for other people. So if, if Jesus himself was able to humble himself and do things for other people, then that's my calling as well. And, you know, it's always been about uh, finding my identity for me. And I find my identity in something bigger than myself, something that I can uh, truly root myself in. Uh, and that's really what it's been. Service has always been something I can root myself in, something that uh, that I've been able to find true fulfillment in uh, and really just make the most out of my time. All right, I'm in this on um, a couple of just fun questions, all right? Of course. If you had to pick a starting five, like some aliens come down, and they say you get five players past, present, uh, to play for your life. Who's your Ooh. five? Man, you're about to test my basketball knowledge with this one. Well, yeah, we need a few things here. Uh, we need a versatile playmaker. So we're going LeBron for sure. Um, we need a scorer, someone to stretch the floor. We're going Steph Curry for sure. Um, spread the floor for us. Um, we need a playmaker to put a lot of this, to put a lot of the pieces together, but we also need a score. We're going Jordan for sure. He has to be in there. I'm thinking about this center position, you know, it's 2023. Not everyone goes with a traditional center. I think we just throw another score out there and let the guys figure it out. We got Kevin Durant. You going to let Katie play the five? I'll let LeBron play the five. Let Katie oh, play right. the four. We'll slide someone else in there. So you got Jordan uh, at the two, Curry running point, LeBron at the five, KD at the four. We need a wing defender. Who do I go with? Man, Kawhi? I mean, at this point, I could go with Kawhi, someone like Kawhi. Because um, you want to put somebody to lock, lock – that's your lockdown right there on the wing. That's what I'm saying. Somebody's got to lock down because I don't know who these aliens got playing, but <laughs> we need some versatile guys out there. Uh, Kawhi is just a type of um, – no nonsense guy who handle business. What is what is your favorite memory as a fan of the game of basketball? Favorite memory as a fan, you know, just uh, of course been a LeBron fan, so he's done plenty of things over the years to be a fan of. But truly, just kind of early where it started. Uh, we used to go from the Atlanta area, so we used to watch Hawks games uh, with my mom. We would go and sit up in the booth and watch the games and. That's really where it started for me, watching who was it, like Jeff Teague and all those guys running around. Um, and then from that, going to play at uh, what's now State Farm Arena, was Phillips Arena back when I was there. Um, just favorite memories, just um, going from watching the games to playing on those courts uh, not too many years later. Um, unreal experience. 
All right, lastly, all right, if you're building the perfect basketball player, all right, I'm going to give you the yeah. category. You tell me who the player is that you would take it from. Perfect. Let's hear it. Court vision. LeBron James. Uh, mentality. Uh, I feel like the easy answer here is Kobe, but that's not who I want to go with. Go who you want to be. I think go the mentality of someone like Jordan, who no nonsense handles his business. Footwork. Akeem Olajuwon. Hands. Hands as in hand size or catching the ball? The the soft, you know, the ability to catch anything around. Tylen Pope. (laughs) T.Y. T.Y. got some hands. (laughs) Tylen Pope. Easy. Former teammate. T.Y. He has some he, hands. Yes. Hey, that, that is one of the most athletic dudes I've man. seen. Man, yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, explosion. Uh Derek Rose before the injuries. Ooh. Unreal. Uh first step. Russell Westbrook. Last Russell one. Russell Westbrook after hesitation. That's my two more. Yeah. Good range. See, I mid would take. Range. I'm taking prime mellow in the mid range. I like prime. I like just prime destroy mellow. anybody in the mid range. I don't know though. I've been watching a lot of Suns games lately. And Devin Booker when he gets two feet in the mid range, that's six five versus that six eight mellow, six nine mellow with that strength that mellow had on the block too. That's true. That's true. Oh man, I got to take. I this. hate on Devin Booker, but I got to take. I got to. I got to take the skill though. Devin Booker creates his space off the bounce. I like it. All right, and then lastly, outside jumper. Easy answer. Stephen Curry. Yeah. Stretch the floor. I don't know this player. This player might average a thousand. This guy. This guy who just created. He might score every time down the floor. About the only. I guess the only other thing would be like if if it was like Giannis's length if you put Giannis's length on that and have you have oh, a guy goodness. who does guy all of those things euro steps from the from the volleyball line <laughs> yeah it's over with this guy might be the best player in the history of the world uh Simon man has been um Sian, it's been a pleasure man um always it's always a pleasure to watch you play because you play with just an incredible amount of energy and passion um, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you before and after games. And this is our first extended conversation, and I really hope it's not our last. Of course, not at all. I appreciate you having me on, David. All right, man. Uh, best of luck to you till the next time we talk. Yeah, of course. Good to see you. Talk Thanks to you so soon. Much. Well, that was Sion James, just a phenomenal young man. Uh, he came onto the Tulane campus as a 17-year-old freshman, and now he's a real leader among his peers. That's really impressive to see, and not as rare as we might think one of the things that I've always fought for and spoken in support of is making sure that athletes at every level are treated and viewed as human beings. You think that that's something that should just be common sense, but it's really not. We have a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings about what it takes, the sacrifices that are necessary, and the things about the college experience that make it special that too many of these student athletes have to trade in for the opportunity to play the sports that they love. These young people are not supposed to be denied their opportunity to have complete collegiate lives because they accepted their athletic scholarships. They don't belong to the fans or to the universities or even the teams that they play for. They are, as Sion stated, still trying to figure out who they are. 
And when we tell them often enough, they may listen, whether it's good or bad. So I'm glad to see a person like Sion James as a leading voice, trying to make things better for his school, uh, for his city, his community. And eventually, I think that young man is going to help change the world. So keep an eye on him. And I am looking forward also to watching him and the rest of the Green Wave back on the court up close and personal sometime around October or November. In the meantime, please hit the subscribe button, like, uh, leave a comment below, and uh, continue to support all the things that we're trying to do here on Hard to Paint Sports Media. Until the next time we talk, I'm David Glove, and this has been Hard to Paint.